for you? I hope so. Father, we bow before you, the true and the living God. And we just want to breathe you in right now into our most innermost being. We acknowledge that it is in you that we live and we move and we have our breath. Thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for the privilege to call upon your name and to sing your praises. I hope what you heard was a sweet-sounding, blessed, rising incense. And I pray and experience your smile upon us this morning. As we have come together to gather around your word, that this is the true, the living bread, the living bread. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, a couple housekeeping items here real quick. Uh, Tuesday night, we have a men's prayer meeting here from 6.30 to 7.15. Actually, it's on Zoom, and you can uh, go to our website to find how to get on to Zoom, or you can phone me or phone the office, and we will, we will allow you... Uh, We'll show you how to get on there. We'll allow you to get on there. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you permission. Um, I think that if there was ever a day that we needed prayer for our country and for ourselves and for our neighbors, it's today. So, gentlemen, I hope that you will find the time. Um, I have these in no particular order, Carly, so if I've just messed you up, remember grace is great, right? <laughs> Uh, we're holding off on children's church until we get a little more clarity and can establish protocols that will keep everyone safe. But know it's on my heart to get it going as soon as we can. We are moving ahead to get our youth group back up and running. Parents of our junior and high school age kids, you will be contacting about a special meeting coming up. Um, do we have the date set? No. That will be set to, and it will be mostly determined by your availability. Young adults, uh, today you are headed off to the Ape Index to climb rocks. Just ask that you don't fall on your head, please. Okay? That was a joke. <laughs> Men's breakfast, yes, coming up on July 12th at 8 a.m. at Sam and Nita Hartman's house. Sam, where are you, buddy? Oh, anyway, there's Sam back there. See him for details. He's the older guy, right? Okay, but it's uh, <clears throat> Saturday, July 12th, starting at 8, is that correct? Okay, yeah, sort of, okay. And finally, um, I would like to invite Miss Kim Counshell to come on up and to do for us the call of the word. Okay, Kim, you ready? All right. There you go. 
May y'all please stand and honor God's word. I'm reading in Exodus 30, verses 17 through 21. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a labor of bronze, with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water, lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. And it shall be a statue forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. This is God's word. This book that we have before us is precious and indescribable and powerful and prophetic and comforting and challenging all at the same time. And when we stand in honor of God's word, what we're doing is declaring to the Holy Spirit that we're ready to listen. We're ready to hear what you have to say to us because we have gathered here not to see this handsome, older pastor. What are you laughing for? <laughs> but to see our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. <clears throat> you guys, <clears throat> all you all, are in a very elite group. Did you know that? You are a holy priesthood. According to John 15 and 2 Peter and Revelation 8, you are a holy priesthood called to represent the true and the living God to all mankind. To preach the gospel, to make disciples, to be agents of healing and agents of change a very confused, angry, and lost world. What kind of people are we? Well, according to scripture, we're anointed, equipped, prepared for service, to do the good works that God has prepared for us from the foundation of the world. We have overcome the adversary, we're cleansed of our sin, and we are disciplined we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. We sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. We are known for our good works, which are prompted by true sacrificial agape love. The character of our priests is marked by joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. In a word, love. We persevere, we endure, and we prevail. 
We are strong in the word of God. We are marked as people of faith. And our faith is proved by our obedience to the word of God, which is the two-edged sword of the spirit. We minister truth. We set captivity, we set captive humanity free from the cruel grip of an unseen enemy. And we fight this war with spiritual weapons. The word of God. Praise to our God. And we fight on our knees in prayer. And through prayer, we tear down strongholds of the enemy. We storm and prevail against the gates of hell to bring people to Christ. And then we love them and we teach them. And we watch as God heals their lives. And we send them out to do the same. We are messengers of God. And we impact an unbelieving world for good. We walk with God. And what's more, we have direct 24-7, 365 access to him, to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to the becoming one, to El Shaddai, the mighty God, the one and only true and living God who just happens to be our father and our friend. Now, let me ask you, <clears throat> does life get any more meaningful or purposeful or impactful than that? Well, I submit to you, it does not. I think that is the pinnacle of our existence. That's what it means to know him, to be known by him, and to make him known. That's what we're all about. What I've just described is a holy priesthood made up of prepared and fit priests. So I was reading through that list of who we are. How many of you thought, well, that's not me? Anybody? No? No, you all recognized yourself in there. Well, we're in chapter 30 of Exodus, and it's showing us the kind of people called and molded for the priesthood. Last week, we learned that if we are to be fit and prepared, a fit and prepared holy priesthood, representing God powerfully, we need to be priests who are half shekel all in. Do you remember that? We talked about that last week. Putting in your half shekel, declaring your allegiance and alignment with God and his purposes, crossing the line, and you're all in, all in. This week, or excuse me, the week before, we learned that to be a holy priesthood representing God powerfully, we need to be a people offering prayer that rises like incense to the throne of God, interceding for others and for ourselves. This morning, we will see that if we are to be a fit, prepared, holy priesthood representing God, powerfully, then we need to be priests who are clean, thoroughly washed in the water of the word, and not only cleansed, but also refreshed and invigorated. We're not a bunch of priests who are wound up tight, okay? If you wind yourself too tight, eventually what's going to happen? You're going to snap and you're going to break. 
We walk at a measured pace. We serve God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are refreshed in him so that we may persevere and endure and take one step in front of the other. This is what we're going to discover as we go through verses 17 through 21. So let's look at the labor, shall we? Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing, for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. You walk into the tabernacle complex, and as you pass the gate, the first thing you see is a bronze altar where sacrifice is made to atone for sin. And just beyond that, there's a tent where the sacred work of the priesthood is done. And between the bronze altar and the tent of meeting is where the bronze basin stood. There's a picture of it behind me. I hope you can see the labor. At least there's an arrow pointing to where it should be. The water in it provided for ceremonial cleansing for the hands and the feet of the priest. And it is very very symbolic. With no floor in the tabernacle, their feet would get dirty. In addition, handling the sacrifices would defile their hands. Now when we say defile, we're just making like it's just not fit to do anything else until they are cleansed. It doesn't mean that they've turned evil and they've got some sort of a, a leprosy on it. It just simply means they need to be cleansed. They need to be I used to be a mechanic long time ago when the earth was cooling and when I would come home the last thing that anyone wanted me to do was to touch anything before I went into to the sink and I got the, the remember the soap they used to have called lava right and it you know it was like washing with 60 grain sandpaper and try to scrub as much grease off because my hands were defiled, as it were. All right? So for practical purposes, as well as spiritual, before the priests would enter into the holy place and minister there, they would wash themselves from a brass laver. All right, verse 20 now. It says, when they go into the tabernacle of meeting, when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord. So he's saying here, you know, whether they're going into the tabernacle, the tent to minister there, or they're gonna go minister at the altar of sacrifice, they shall wash with water lest they die. Now my mother could have killed me many times for coming to the table without clean hands, okay? But this is not my mother. This is the true and living God. So mark that, lest they die. Because what he is saying here, the priesthood, what you are offering up to God is serious business. Because bronze is symbolic of what? How many of you know, Bible students? Judgment, that is correct. John MacArthur in his commentary said nothing casual was being done in the sanctuary or out in the courtyard. This wasn't perfunctory stuff. This was serious 
business. Now, does that mean we will die if we serve the Lord in an unclean manner? Well, if it did, <laughs> I wouldn't be here today. <clears throat> but what does die is our testimony, our effectiveness. Um, and I do think that we will be held accountable. But that's a, a sermon for another day. An interesting side note is where the brass came from to make this labor, all right? Uh, I mean, they are <clears throat> in the desert, and they are not miners by trade, so we're getting the brass to put this together. Exodus 38 tells us that when construction of the tabernacle actually began, the woman, the women, donated the brass looking glasses they had been given in Egypt. I think I have a picture of what that would have looked like, okay? And just imagine it's polished brass and very, very, very shiny so that you could see your reflection in it, all right? When the Israelites had left Egypt, right, they were basically paid to leave. They, they were told, please, here, take all of our goods and get out and don't come back. Uh, but actually that was um, back pay for all of the years of slavery that they had been in. Well, what has that got to do with anything? Well, turn to James chapter 1, verse 23. James chapter 1. Now, James, in, in chapter 1, he likens the word of God to a mirror. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a, in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In other words, if you just listen to God's word, but you don't do what it says, then you're fooling yourself, only yourself. Because just listening to the word, but not obeying it, is like glancing at your face in the mirror. Walking away and not noticing that you have something on your face that's going to embarrass you later on in the day, after you've been a full day at work, walking around with this mess on your face and no one told you. But you did notice that there were a lot of chuckles going around the office, right? It's like, why bother even look in the mirror? Because you're, you're not paying attention to it. Now, I know that's not the truth. When we look in the mirror, that's serious business, right? No, it is for me because I always do it in a dark light. I don't really want to see what I think I'm going to see. Thomas Watson said, the word is both a glass, a mirror, to show us the spots of our poor soul and a labor to wash them away. Have you ever done this before where you have a, a glass that you put in the dishwasher, right? And you look at it and you, it's in a sort of a dim light so you really can't tell if it's spotted or not. So what do you do? Hold it up to the light to see if there's spots. And, and this one, honey, there's, there's no spots on this. I didn't. I didn't take one of our spotted glasses. I brought a, an actual clean one, okay? That's what the Word of God, it's like a light that we put our, li our lives up against and we see it, and if there are spots on it, then it's telling us that we need to clean up something, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16, if you like, you can turn there. 2 Timothy 
3, 16 and 17, it says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. Uh, how many of you have one of those things that's all scripture? Anybody have one of those with them right now? Yeah? No one's raising their hand. You don't know, do you? Yes, it's called the Bible. It's sitting in your lap. Audience participation. You've got to help me out, guys. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and it corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. Now, a lot of people think that's the only thing that the Bible does. It just sits there and constantly points out what is wrong in your life and what you should be doing right. But it also provides water for washing, for cleansing, so that you can be refreshed and reinvigorated as well as forgiven and changed. Exodus 30:18 says you, if you want to turn back there to Exodus, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze and washing for washing. And you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. So the brass laver was filled with water for washing. Now, without water, what would be the purpose of having a laver? What would you be getting out of it? Well, just the reflection of your flaws and failures. Okay? If all the word of God was as a reflection of your flaws and failures. It would be a pretty discouraging book. But the addition of water made the labor of place of cleansing. Look at verse 19. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. In verse 20, at the end, they shall wash with water lest they die. And then verse 21, they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. God is serious about soul cleanliness. When you go to minister in his name and you want to do it powerfully and effectively, you need to be clean. You need to have a clean heart. <clears throat> How does that apply? Well, what's that got to do with us? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, 26. If you want to turn there, you can. The Bible tells us that Jesus cleanses the church with the washing of the water by the word of God. Okay? Ephesians 5.26. And then Jesus' comments in John 15.3. He said, you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. And Psalm 119.9 tells us, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. By being obedient to your word. So, just as the priest of the Old Testament cleansed himself for service at the bronze laver, we cleanse ourselves with the word of God. Look at the word of God as a power wash for the soul. I have an, a word picture I want to paint for you. I've only thought this out. I have not actually done this before. 
So as it goes all wrong, you will either forgive me or laugh hysterically, okay? All right. I have a few items here. I have a tub that has water in it. The water represents the Word of God, okay? I have a Tupperware full of mud. And my wife got this. I wouldn't dare touch this stuff. <laughs> this represents the defilement. Whether it is just sweat and grind of a normal day or if it's sin and other things that you've packed on yourself, that's what the mud represents, all right? And then I have a washcloth. Here, I think actually I'll use this one. This represents obedience. Okay, this is applying the water of the word to where the dirt is to clean it off. And, it, and, your, and your contact point is your obedience. That's what's actually going to do the work. Now, let me put these on here. Last time I saw something like this, I was in a doctor's office. <laughs> All right. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Wilson. All right. Okay. Uh, perhaps you've seen him, right? He's a former movie star. Okay. Started a movie called Castaway with Tom Hanks, right? Uh, got saved. He got saved and he turned into a minister working at a, at a high school volleyball camp in the summers. All right. That's his job. When he got saved, he was absolutely cleansed from all of his sins. So pure, white, undefiled, right? All right. But during the course of his tenure at the summer camp, um, many things started to go wrong. He was tempted by certain things, and he failed. One particular day, he, he lost his temper at one of the campers, and he yelled at her. I don't know what it was that she did, but caused him to lose his sanctification because he used some very choice words. She ran off crying, crushed. Well, that night, as a born-again counselor at this summer camp, did I get dirt on any of you guys? You're in the splash zone here, so I just wanted to let you know. Ministering from John chapter 15. He tried, but there was a problem. What was it? Well, didn't come off too well. Oh, I got myself really good, didn't I? Because you see, though he is ministering the pure word of God because of his own character, he defiles it. 
and he doesn't minister well. There's no power behind the words that he says. No one takes him seriously. Matter of fact, they have a word for him. You know what that is? It's the H word. Right? He's a hypocrite. All right? Well, they blow him off and they call him out and bummed. He goes to the Lord, right? And the Lord ministers to him from Ephesians 4.26, which says, don't sin by letting anger control you. And then he reads Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And knowing that he has defiled his testimony and his service, his heart convicts him. And, and, and he just goes before God and he's just totally straight up. He says, you know what, I've got an issue with my temper. I've always been like that. I mean, it's always been just who I am. Matter of fact, it almost got me kicked off the set of Castaway when I got into Tom Hanks' face. And then he reads John 15, 9. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. So he realizes that at that moment that he lost it with that girl, he stepped outside of the love of Christ. And now he wants to return. So he prays for forgiveness. He asks to be restored and he confesses, I can't do this on my own. This is the way I have been all my life. I've got a temper and sometimes it gets the best of me. What am I gonna do? Then he reads, reads Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So he prays, God, strengthen me. And he hears the Spirit whisper, John 15, 4, then remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. But if you remain in me and my word remains in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. What do you want? Wilson, I want to remain in you. I want to be delivered from this foul mouth that I have. I want to be delivered from this temper. And finally, he says, well, fine. That will be granted you. And now you are clean. Well, to see, I forgot to do this part of it. <laughs> because while he was in the word reading it, what was happening to him? He was being washed in the water of the word. But the next day, he got up. And guess what? Just like it happens for all of us, right? God made it a whole lot easier for him, and he had no troubles, right? Yeah, exactly. Those teenagers were really hostile toward him, and rude, and uncooperative, and it got worse. And his triggers, every single trigger he had was pushed, pulled, 
and he had the opportunity again, but he didn't. He didn't. He chose to obey. He was washed clean and given another chance. Now, it's going to happen many times. It's not going to be one and done. Have you noticed that? In your Christian walk, when you get convicted about something, you're going to have to experience that over and over and over again until you gain victory over it completely. But that's no problem because, you see, the Lord's labor is always available, right? His shower room is always open, and you can go in as often as you need to to get washed and cleaned. And I just... <laughs> what did I tell you? I should have practiced this at home. All right. You get the idea, right? All right. So much for that. Now, there's something I want to bring to your attention, and I, I don't have my notes on this, but... It's true. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Right. William Plummer said, Scripture is not only pure, but purifying. But it's not only purifying, it's also encouraging as well. You see, sometimes when you need to be washed in the water of the word, it isn't because of some sin that's overtaken you. I mean, that's what we commonly think of when we think of being washed in the water of the word. But it may be that you're just having a hard time with life and you're confused. And you might even be wondering, does God even love me? Has he had enough of me? Has all of this just been a figment of my imagination? And those and many other questions may be defiling your relationship with God. It may be hindering your relationship with God. It's not, not because of sin. It's just because, I don't know, you're human. Right? We all struggle with these things. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, and this washes just as well as Philippians 4.13. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same Son of God who uses the Word of God to point out and correct us always comes back and encourages us of how much He loves us. And He's not quitting on you. He is in your midst. He's in your midst with power to save. And He takes joy in you. And He will give you rest in His love. And then he will sing over you. Can you imagine God jumping into song? All right. 
and beginning to sing over you. You know, using the word of God as, as that cleansing agent, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it deals with one single issue, the benefits and the blessings of being in the word. We all benefit and are blessed when you guys take a shower. <laughs> and probably you yourself are the most blessed because you feel refreshed and invigorated. Psalm 119 verse 1 declares that a person who obeys the word will be blessed and be happy. Verse 7 tells us that the person who is in the word will be a person who worships. And this morning you got just a little taste of how beneficial and wonderful that can be. Verse 9 in Psalm 119 tells that the person who takes heed to the word will be clean. Verse 24 tells us the word is a delight. Verse 50, that it's a comfort. And don't worry, if you don't get all of these notes, um, they will be posted online, and you can download them from there. Verse 72 declares the word to be more precious than gold or silver. And verse 99, it brings understanding. In verse 105, it sheds light. That's, a, that's quite a bath, guys. That's quite a bath. And all of these things are to wash your perspective, to edify you, and to build you up in your most holy faith. Okay? So hopefully that's, that's a little different than the way you've been looking at being washed in the water of the word. But let me ask you one last question here, okay? Where did the water come from that filled the laver? Have you ever wondered that? No, probably not. Question, pastors are always famous for asking questions that no one asks. Where'd the water come from? What do you think? They just sort of carted it around with them? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.4 gives us a hint. 1 Corinthians 10.4. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.4 that they all drink the same spiritual drink for they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ right so that's what quenched their thirst and refreshed and invigorated them and it just stands to reason then that the water source they drank of would be the same water source that they would use to do what fill the labor for for cleansing he was the water source. Now, not literally, okay? We're talking figuratively. The rock didn't actually, literally, physically follow them around in their wilderness waterings. Most commentators agreed that there was a subterranean river flowing from the rock that was first struck by Moses in Exodus chapter 17. And it provided a perpetual flow of water under their feet. So consequently, all they had to do to be refreshed at any given moment was realize that even if they couldn't see it, the current of refreshment and thirst-quenching water was moving below them. Okay? Hang in there. Go to John 7, verse 37.
John 7.37 shows us that spiritually. There's a subterranean river of life flowing, not under us, but within us. Look at what he says. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Remember who he is, right? He is that rock from which the water flowed in the desert. Let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, verse 39 tells us that he spoke this concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Now, don't get lost on this, but what happened to Christ when he was smitten on the cross with the spear? Do you remember? What flowed out of him? And, and blood. There you go. Out of his side flowed blood and water. Redemption and refreshment. Cleansing and renewal. Just as water cleanses and purifies, it also satisfies thirst and produces fruitfulness. It refreshes, it invigorates, it revives. And Jesus is offering all of this living water and eternal satisfaction. F.B. Meyer said, When our Lord ascended, he received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then a new era broke on the world. It was the uprising and outpouring of the Holy Spirit from within. We become strengthened with might in the inner man, and Christ dwells in our heart by faith. Thereupon, we not only are infilled of the Spirit, but it is his gracious ministry to mankind through us that makes the desert rejoice and blossom. If we are to exert profound spiritual influence on this world, guys, first of all, we're going to need to be clean, okay? And another word for this is holiness. We must be holy because in holiness there is power and in holiness there is happiness. Holiness is the strength of the soul and it comes by faith and through obedience to God's laws and his ordinances. God is all-powerful and his power is holy power. And he tells us to pursue holiness because all of life is affected by this one thing. If we are to be clean, we need to go to the labor and be washed with the water of the word. If we are to exert profound spiritual influence on the world, we must be clean. If we're gonna be clean, we need to go to the labor and be washed with the water of the word. The word of God is a cleanser. It cleans anyone who comes under the influence and power and authority of it. If we're to exert profound spiritual influence on the world, we've got to be clean. If we're to be clean, we need to go to the laver and be washed with the water of the word. And if you're going to be washed with the water of the word, then you should expect and receive refreshment and renewal. 
like I said before, you wind the rubber band too tight, it's going to snap. You need to step back. It's true. We do fail. We do get defiled. It was expected, our natures being what they are. And that's why he made the provision of being washed by the water of his word. But that's only a small part of who we are in Christ. We need to enjoy the greater part. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. And he takes delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. And he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. So I pray that as you walk out of these doors today, that you don't feel condemned and that you don't focus on your failures and your flaws, and even your troubles. The Lord your God is mighty to save and he sings over you. I don't know if he sings hip hop, country, or, or perhaps uh, maybe he's doing an opera, opera over you right now. But probably whatever, whatever tunes you like, whatever style you like, they are words of his great love for you. Now with a love like that, how can you not do anything but admire him? And in your admiration, be fulfilled, fully fulfilled. Okay? Is that enough for one day? All right, come on up. Let's turn the lights off and let's have a, a time of worship and we'll dismiss you in just a minute. Would you all stand, please? <clears throat>